Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on a mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hey, everybody. We are glad that you're listening today. This is episode 75, and we are in the middle. <laughs> to, <laughs> tell me your face just lit up. <laughs> what is it about 75? Uh, there's a lot of interesting things about the number 75, but I will refrain. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you were trying to reframe since yeah. you didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I just saw your face. It was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we're we're in the middle of the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. They went through the Red Sea. God took them through that. And where are we going? There's a lot to the story, right? So we're not going to hit on everything, but where are we going today? Yeah, so we're, we're about two months out from the Red Sea episode, and this is the episode that is kind of famous. It's where Israel complains to God, and then God provides food for them in the desert uh, uh, miraculously. And so we're going to look at the bread from heaven, and then, of course, Jesus picks up on that in his uh, discourse in John 6. So we're actually going to do several episodes on this story because John weighs in pretty heavily on this in John chapter 6. And Jesus does. That's right. Yeah. yeah so John about Jesus. I guess that makes sense. Okay, so where are we at in Exodus? So we're going to do uh, Exodus 16, and it's, of course, a really long chapter, so we're just going to hop around and you know hit the highlights. Great. Let's jump in. Exodus 16, starting in verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, this is a pretty bold uh, thing to say against Moses and Aaron. And notice that they're not complaining against the Lord directly. It's more kind of like, hey, we're hungry, and what are y'all going to do about it? And so it's a, it's a, it's a pretty confrontational moment here. There's, there's some real conflict going on. Yeah. Um, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. Okay, so this is really important to the storyline because... The Lord is basically setting up a specific thing for them to do and to do it in a specific way, and it has to do with their provision. In other words, this is, this is an issue of trusting God to provide for their needs, and he's basically going to tell them to do something to see if they're going to do it. And we might think, okay, this is kind of kind of unique to them, but it has a lot of application to us today. And we'll, we'll get into that at the end of our episode today. Mm, good. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord. 
because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Now, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you picking up what I'm seeing there? I think so. Yeah. So, so what are you seeing? <laughs> yeah, they were basically saying like, uh, it's not our fault. I don't know why you're complaining to us because we can't exactly control that. <laughs> so, yeah, they're kind of putting it back on God. Yeah, they're they're kind of saying, "Hey, you're you think you're complaining to us, but really we're God's representatives." And so when you complain against us, you're actually complaining against the Lord. And so it's a they're they're kind of redirecting uh to say, "Hey, this is an issue between you and the Lord. It's it's not really about us." And this is a really interesting principle with leadership is that sometimes leaders take on the role of the Lord in people's lives and they are representatives of the Lord. And really, sometimes people have an issue with a leader, but really it's not with the leader, it's actually with the Lord. Right. And so part of a, the task of being a leader is being able to differentiate between, hey, is is this really about me or is this about them and something else? Yeah, them having a beef with God. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, being a leader is in the kingdom of God is interesting because there's a third factor and, and you never know if somebody's triangulating. Right. Yeah. But anyways, Can't I digress. Can't take it personally all the time, I guess. That's right. So anyways, yeah. So the discourse goes on, and we'll, we're going to jump to 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. Okay, I have to pause right here because when I first read this, I thought to myself, so is the manna like bird, quail poop? <laughs> oh. Because it's, it's all jumbled that. together. <laughs> <laughs> the quail come, and then all there's, of a sudden there's stuff on the ground. <laughs> right, because then it says when the dew was gone, then flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Yeah, so it's 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 a little bit jumbled together there, but it's the the stuff on the ground is not from the quail. It's not quail poop. Maybe that's why it says flakes. That's probably right. Yeah, <laughs> so you wouldn't think they're trying to clarify for us. Uh, yeah, when the Israelites saw it. They said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. So there's a a little bit of a a point of wisdom here, I think, in the way that the Lord provides is that notice that he brings quail in the evening and they're totally familiar with quail. And they're like, oh, okay, that's that's from the Lord. That's how he's providing dinner for us. We're going to have quail dinner, you know. But he does provide for them in the morning something entirely new, something entirely different, and they don't know what it is. In fact, the Hebrew term for, you know, what they call it is they they call it, what is it? Manna. Yeah. Yeah. The word manna means what is it? And I think this is kind of emblematic of the way that the Lord sometimes provides for us is that he provides for us in ways that we may not expect. And it, we actually are sitting there thinking, what is this? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of a mystery. And it, it kind of makes me think of that phrase. I think it's in Lamentations where it says that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And it's this idea that he, he's surprising them with something amazing, something awesome in the morning time. And it's a miraculous thing. So... You know, it's 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 sort of a, a window into the way God does things is that what he gives you, you may not actually recognize it. 
And this is actually going to kind of come up later in John when we start talking about Jesus as being the bread that came down from heaven, is that they didn't recognize him. And yet he is the bread that was given by God for us. So there's there's some points of connection here between their being like, wait, who, you know, what is this? And then they look at Jesus and like, wait, who are you? And there's some confusion and they don't know exactly how to receive it. We talked about how the Lord was going to test them and to see whether or not they were going to walk in his teaching or not. And this is where that test comes up. And so we're, we're going to skip down here to verse 23. And this is where the testing comes. And it has to do with uh, the Sabbath day. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it, which they had gotten too much, right, before. Right. And they got they collected more than they were supposed to and they, saved it for the next day because, you know, they probably didn't trust that it was going to come again. That's right. And it, it got maggots in it. So he was saying, like, on the Sabbath day, it's not going to happen. So, and they said, eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any on the ground today. Six days you are together it, but on the seventh day, the, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out, so the people rested on the seventh day. Okay, so this is a a really, it's a very basic test that the Lord gives them, but he's trying to establish a pattern with them of you work six days and then one day you don't work. And their fear, of course, is that, oh, we're not going to have enough food if we don't work. And the Lord is like, no, I'm going to give you double portion on Friday so that when Saturday comes, you have enough to feed your family on Saturday and you can actually rest and not work on that day. And it's it's really interesting that the Lord is really upset about this. And I think there's something really profound here about God valuing us, trusting him to provide for us and being able to walk in his ways. Sometimes the temptation is for us to actually break out and pursue our own way to provide for our own needs. And the Lord says, no, I I have a way, I have a certain path that I want you to walk in. I have a certain way that I want you to approach work. And I want you to give at least one day to rest. And it, it, it actually is a test. It's a test as to whether or not you believe that God will provide for the things that you need if you don't work on that day. And so the, the Sabbath is, is not some like isolated commandment. It's not just about giving your body rest, even though that's true. There's a very deep relational component to Sabbath for Israel. And it's whether or not they're going to trust the Lord to provide for them 
And it, it, it even gets like ratcheted up later on in Exodus. It basically says if anybody works on the Sabbath, there's going to be a death penalty. He's linking death with working seven days a week. Okay, and that's, that, that's a pretty profound connection. And he's saying, look, you're not supposed to kill yourself working. You're not supposed to kill yourself, you know, voluntarily killing yourself to pursue things and money and objects just so that you can provide things that you feel like the Lord may not provide you. And so behind all of this, you know, Israel's called the firstborn son. And so really what's hovering behind this is sonship and daughtership with God, that as a son will the father provide for you, as a daughter will the Lord your father provide for you. And it becomes a test of your trust in God as your father. There's a lot going on here, and it's one of the reasons why God makes a big deal about the Sabbath, is that it's for their good, it's for their benefit, but it also basically leads them to exercise a muscle of faith and trust in him that otherwise they wouldn't have to exercise. Yeah, this whole story is very rich with applications to us and yeah it is the sabbath it says a sabbath to the lord which means i think i think it hits definitely on what you're saying as and that relational aspect of resting to be with the lord and not even go out at all i mean that's crazy in our world today and our culture to just whole concept is just crazy for us but anyways we should probably move on but it's yeah that's good stuff yeah yeah let's let's jump up to john six and we're, we're just going to do a little short dip in there and then we're going to do some uh, uh at least one or two episodes more on john six and how this relates to the uh the bread from heaven yeah so let's uh jump up to john chapter six and the context for this passage is that Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with the five loaves of bread and two fishes, and it's created this huge stir. And everyone's kind of like, wait, free lunch? Are you kidding me? This guy can crank it out? And so it, it creates this like big following, and people are basically coming to him kind of like a vending machine. And, <laughs> and they're like, wait, you know, uh, we, we would like some bread. I mean, if, if you can crank it out, like, we, you know, here's our basket. Like, fill our basket. We want the bread, buddy. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're coming to him sort of in a consumeristic, in a transactional kind of way. And so Jesus is kind of, you know, navigating that encounter here, and he's using it as an opportunity to teach about himself. So we're, we're going to start in verse 32 and go through verse 35. And so it says, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, which is technically true because Moses wasn't the one who did it, right? True. I mean, it was the Lord who did it, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven, which basically implies the bread that they received in the Exodus was sort of a, a, a type it was a, a prototype. It, it was real, but it wasn't the real thing that the Lord really wanted to give them. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he. In other words, it's a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
And that's, that's really the contrast that we're looking at here in John, is the contrast between life and death. Verse 34, Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Which basically reveals they didn't understand what he was saying, because he basically just said, it's a person. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, ooh, give it to us now. Like, you know, we're, we're ready. You know, crank it out. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Let me just break it down for you. I'm that guy. I am the bread. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, Jesus is making a really big claim here. Never. <laughs> never hungry. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very uh, challenging claim. He's saying that if you come to me and if you essentially, you know, he's going to say this later on, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, if who I am and what I'm about makes it deep inside of you, if you internalize it, if you're able to consume it, me, then it is going to bring a level of satisfaction in your life to where you stop looking around in places to satisfy that deep hunger. He's saying, I am the one that can satisfy you. And this is a very, it's a very challenging claim, especially when you find yourself in a season of life where you're dissatisfied, where you're grumpy, where you're complaining, where things are not going the way you want them to, and there's this annoying claim that Jesus makes, and he says, if you come to me, I will satisfy you. And you, we, we have to wrestle with that claim. We have to wrestle with what Jesus is actually saying here. And in some ways, it is kind of like a test. It's kind of like a, a test as to whether or not we will actually turn to him and learn how to receive from him. And it's not just, you know, for in, in John, believing is more than just sort of a belief in propositional truths. Believing in John has this sense of expectation, a sense of looking towards something to receive from that thing. In other words, you're looking away from yourself and you're looking with expectation towards something else. And that, that's really what faith in John is about. So... You know, I, I think we'll probably probably do at least one or two more episodes unpacking what's going on in John 6 because it has a lot of implications for how we understand Jesus as the one who can satisfy us. Yeah, this is definitely really deep when you think about it. And when you try to apply it to your life, it's really deep because you're like, am I truly satisfied? Like, do I ever feel hungry for something more Mm. and it's like am i looking to the bread of life am i feasting on him like those are really deep questions and things to think about and to take in yeah well said we're we're excited to get into this part because there's a lot of spiritual insights we're going to draw out and they're, they're very challenging but they're also very hopeful because it means that we don't have to just sit in our complaining or dissatisfaction. That, Absolutely. That there is hope. Absolutely.
That's really good, Tim. Yeah, thanks for listening, and I hope you are uh, hungry to join us for the next one. <laughs> da, da. Wait, are you throwing out puns? I thought I was supposed to do that. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I uh, was looking for a word, and we were talking about hunger, so it just made sense. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to wrap it up, but we are going to continue this conversation, so please hit that subscribe button if you haven't done that yet. Um, if you have any comments or questions, just click the link in our podcast notes, and... We will get back with you. So appreciate you listening and we will catch you next time.